Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Throughout Scripture, the Bible describes Jesus Christ as a lamb. In the book of Genesis, chapter 22, we read about a man by the name of Abraham. And he takes his son Isaac to go up to the mountain. And there an altar is built. And there Abraham ties his son Isaac upon the altar. And he makes full preparation to slay his own son based on the commandment of God. And as he takes his knife and dagger up into the air to about ready to slay his son, he hears a voice. And in the midst of a messenger speaking on behalf of God, the Bible tells us that God will provide himself a lamb. And in Genesis chapter 22, we see that whole scene is typifying and picturing to us the provisional and sacrificial lamb is Jesus Christ. That one day God would provide a greater lamb to be placed on the altar of Calvary. They are to be sacrificed for the sins of this world, for your sins and for my sins. We read in the book of Exodus chapter 12 and 13, and actually before that, we see that God's people were taken in captivity and they were treated as great slaves and servants and and they were beaten into laboring and laboring and laboring. And God raised up a man by the name of Moses and a man by the name of Aaron, and they marched into Pharaoh's palace and said, God is saying, let my people go. And as multiple attempts of trying to share God's word with Pharaoh, the Bible reveals to us that Pharaoh rejected God's word over and over again. And as a result, God thundered down his plagues of judgment upon the people of Egypt. And the final plague came, the slaying of the firstborn in Exodus 12 and Exodus 13. And there Israel was commanded to take a little lamb and to bring that little lamb into their house for a little while. And then to slay that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and place the blood on the doorpost. And the Bible says that when the death angel would march by the door, if if the death angel saw the blood on the post, he would pass over them. And so now the nation of Israel were commanded to celebrate this great Passover, reminding the people of Israel about how the death angel passed over each household and did not slay the firstborn. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we read the Apostle Paul describes Jesus Christ as our Passover. In other words, he is our Passover lamb. And if the blood of Jesus Christ is covering your sins, he will pass over you and you will not experience his wrath and judgment. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, we read, John the Baptist sees God the Son, the Lamb of God, for the first time. And he says two times, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. We see in this scene, I believe that John is describing to us Jesus Christ as the sinless and spotless Lamb. And because he is sinless and because he is spotless, he is able to remove our sins and make us whole again. In Revelation chapter 5, we see John the Revelator is writing what he is seeing in the throne room of heaven, and he sees a lamb that is slain. We know that this lamb would be placed upon the cross of Calvary. The stakes would be driven into his physical being there to die on your behalf and my behalf. 
in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 12, we read that this lamb had blood. The blood of the lamb was poured out on Calvary so that God could take his own precious blood of the Son of God and cleanse your sins and my sins. I'm thankful today for the blood of the Lamb. And today I am saddened over the fact that many of preachers and many of churches are neglecting to emphasize the blood that was spilt on the cross of Calvary from the Lamb of God. In Revelation chapter 17, we read about how these tribulation saints are going to be able to overcome the enemy in darkness by the power of the Lamb. So he is the overcoming Lamb. And it is only by through his means of power that you and I can overcome the power of darkness. In Revelation 21, we read about how this Lamb has a book. He has an eternal ledger. And if your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, you will not enter into the pearly gates of glory. In Revelation chapter 5, again, we see John not seeing this lamb who was slain, but seeing the worthy lamb who is able to take the seals of the scroll and loose them one by one. Today, my friends, throughout Scripture, we see that Jesus Christ is emphasized as a lamb. I believe that he is a worthy lamb, but that is not the emphasis of today's sermon. I believe that there is a book of the lamb. But that is not the emphasis of today's message. I believe he is the overcoming lamb. I believe there is the blood of the lamb. He is the crucified lamb. He is the sinless and spotless lamb. I believe he's the Passover lamb, and I believe he is the provisional and sacrificial lamb. But today, my friends, as we draw our attention now to the words of inspiration in Revelation chapter 6, I want you to look at verse 16 and to look at verse number 17. The Bible literally says these words at the very end of verse 16. It says, the wrath of the lamb. And if I could, just for a little while, I want to borrow John's words and label it as my sermon title today, the wrath of the lamb. Would you say that with me? The wrath of the lamb. Yes, we believe that Jesus Christ is the loving lamb, but we also believe that Jesus Christ is the judging lamb, and he's going to bring judgment to this world in the very near future. In Revelation chapter 6, we read about these six seals. Last week, we looked at the first four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, how seal number one is broken, and deception and peace is brought to this world through the agent of the Antichrist. And after that, we see seal number two is broken, and warfare, like we've never seen before, is going to encounter this world. And then seal number three is broken, and we see famine is the result of war. And then we see seal number four is broken, and we see disease and death will be plaguing this world in the future. But now we see the focus of John is on these next two seals in Revelation chapter 6. And as I've been meditating in these several verses from verse 9 and verse 17 of Revelation chapter 6, here is the emphasis of today's message. And really, if I, this statement is a little lengthy, so hear me out now. This, I believe, summarizes the content of these verses and what I want to reveal to you today. Believers are called to live faithful lives even unto death because a judgment day is coming when God's wrath will be poured out upon this world. Let me say it again. Believers are called to live faithful lives even unto death because a judgment day is coming when God's wrath will be poured out upon this world. What can we learn 
about these next two seals in the book of Revelation. Seal number five emphasizes the martyr's persecution, but really we could see that it is not God persecuting the saints. It is the world persecuting the saints. And really this seal, seal number five could be described, I think really, if we're gonna look at it in its detail, is the martyred saints praying for God's vengeance to be made available to this world. And then seal number six is about the cosmic devastation, where God unleashes his judgment and shakes this universe with a mighty earthquake. Now, all that said, I want to share with you two thoughts today. From verses 9 through 11, I want to share you the first thought. And verses 12 through 17, I want to share with you the second thought. As we think about the wrath of God, as we look into the future of the lens and the telescope of God's words of inspiration, today I want you to understand this, that God gave us these words so that we could better live out the Christian life today. So as we are going to travel through this whole book, yes, I think sometimes we are so careful to just try to shove more information about the future into our mind, but if we're, if we're not careful, careful enough, we'll, we'll see that sometimes we can be so enamored by information of God's word that we forget to apply it to our lives today. And so today I want you to understand this, this is all going to take place in the future, but how do these future events relate to you and me in our walk today? And so the first thought is this, from verses 9 through 11, every believer is promised to suffer from the world's persecution. Every believer is promised to suffer from the world's persecution. In verse 9, 10, and 11, we see the assured, expected promise that every child of God is going to some degree experience tribulation. Yes, you will be mocked. Yes, you will be scoffed. Yes, you will be ridiculed. And yes, there will be some who will give the ultimate price of their life on behalf of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, remember last week as we were studying the four horsemen of the apocalypse, I was taking you back to Matthew chapter 24. Again, as we try to understand the pieces to the puzzle of God's future timeline, we have to keep in mind the words of Christ in Matthew 24. So if you take your Bibles and turn back to me, with me to Matthew chapter 24, and, and listen, we've seen so far in Matthew 24 in this great sermon, I believe Jesus had many different sermons, but there's the two greatest sermons. The first one, I believe the greatest sermon in my mind is this sermon, Matthew Matthew 24, when the disciples come and say, hey, what's the promise of your coming? And what are the signs of your second coming? And he said, there's going to be deception and people are going to be saying, I'm Christ and they'll deceive many. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines. There's going to be pestilences. There's going to be earthquakes as we're going to see in our passage today. And he says, all these are the beginning of sorrow. So just as a woman who is pregnant and experiencing the labor pains and the, the closer she is to giving birth to that little baby boy or girl, she will receive greater pains of labor. And we see that as we get closer and closer and closer to the second coming of Christ in the tribulational period, we see the labor pains are going to get more severe. The judgments of God are going to get more severe to this world. And we see in verse number nine of Matthew 24, the Bible says, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. This is going to transpire in the book of Revelation right here around the time of seal number five. Now let me pause right here and just remind you 
that there is a little bit of debate about uh, amongst scholars about when exactly these seals are going to take place. Some will say that seal number four is the midpoint. Some will say seal number five is the midpoint. Some will say seal number six is the midpoint. But just understand this, that sometime around seal four, five, and six, we see three and a half years will transpire. The peace treaty that the Antichrist makes with the nation of Israel will be done away with. He will march into the holy temple in Jerusalem, declare himself to be God, demand to be worshiped as God, or else everybody dies. And we see as a result, these believers are going to die for their faith. Throughout history, Old Testament till now, believers have suffered. Believers have been persecuted. Right now in China, in the Middle East, and other areas all over the world, right now people are literally giving their life for the cause of Christ. And it is illegal to own a copy of God's Word, whether digital or physical. But today, we see in verse number 9, 10 and 11, a few thoughts about this world's persecution. Verse number 9, let's look at this verse. This verse I want to share this thought with you. Believers are persecuted for believing in and sharing the word of God. Believers are persecuted for believing in and sharing the word of God. Look at, look at verse number nine. It says, when he had opened the fifth seal. Notice, this is the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is opening these seals. He is the only one worthy to do so. And it says, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they Held. Notice, they are killed. This word slain, it literally means to slaughter and butcher. And so here, people are going to be slaughtered and butchered like they've never been slaughtered and butchered before in the tribulational period. And only because they believe the word of God is in fact the word of God. And we are seeing a, a shift in the culture of people not believing the word of God. We're seeing actually churches today not believing the word of God is the word of God. Churches are actually cutting out books and cutting out portions. And I'm thankful today to be a part of a church that believes every word of God is pure and every word of God is true. And in verse number nine, the Bible goes on to say that not just for them believing in the word of God, but also for their testimony. Listen, people who believe the word of God share the word of God. And so they're out and about. They're going to be sharing God's word some way, shape, or form. We don't know exactly how, but they're going to go out and share God's word and share the good news of the Messiah and the good news of the future kingdom and the good news that Jesus will return and the bad news that judgment day is coming. And they're not going to like that and they're going to kill him. But notice here, been a lot of discussion about this phrase, the souls under the altar. Now, remember back in the Old Testament, there were a couple different altars. One altar was an altar that these Old Testament saints would place the animal on. They would tie that animal on the altar, and there they would slay the animal, and the blood would be poured out there to make atonement for the people's sins. And then the other animal, or excuse me, the other altar not the animal, the other altar is there where they offered incense. And the Bible mentions about an altar of incense earlier in the book of Revelation, and that is the prayers of the saints on this side of eternity going up into the nostrils of Almighty God as a sweet-smelling Savior. The emphasis here is not to try to figure out which altar is being alluded to, but simply the fact that these saints in the tribulational period gave the price of their life and, and the Bible means here that when these, the blood is going down at the bottom of the altar, it speaks about these souls under the altar. It's just simply meaning that their sacrifice is completed for the cause 
of Christ. Believers are persecuted for believing in and sharing the word of God. But look at verse 10. The Bible says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Here's a thought I want to share with you from this verse. As we think about how this verse applies to our life today, understand this. Believers are promised their prayers will be answered by God. I'm glad today we serve a prayer-answering God. He hears, he listens, and he responds to your prayers. You might be praying for family members to come to know Christ. You might be praying for reconciliation within relationships to this earth. And I want you to understand this, that God hears and answers those prayers. But we see that verse number 10 is prayers that are different than our types of prayers in this time period. In fact, a lot of people ask, what do we call these people in the tribulational period? Do we call them Jews? Do we call them Christians? Do we call them Messianic? Who, who do we call these people in the tribulation who become believers? We call the Old Testament believers, they're the Old Testament saints. We call the New Testament saints, that is, living in the church dispensation is New Testament saints. And we call the tribulational believers, tribulational saints. And so these tribulational saints are going to be people who believe in the glorious message of the Messiah. And they're going to come to faith during the tribulation. The New Testament saints, you and me, we come to faith in the church age looking back at the cross that the Old Testament fulfillments of the Messiah is in Jesus Christ. And he died on Calvary for you and for me to experience life. And he rose again. And then the Old Testament believers, they look to the cross, believing in faith that God would send a Messiah. So we are all saints, just some are Old Testament saints, some are New Testament saints, and some are tribulational saints. And these tribulational saints are on the other side of eternity, now in heaven, and they're asking this question, how long, O sovereign and holy and true God, how long are you going to wait until you avenge our blood? By the way, I know that you thought Captain America was the first avenger, but actually Jesus was. <laughs> the Bible says here that Jesus is the judge and avenger of our blood. My friends, you do not want to stand in between the avenging indignation of God. And so the Bible goes and say here that these saints are praying to God. They're crying out to God. So the question simply is this, is are there saints in heaven praying for you and me right now? No. <laughs> And you cannot use this verse to support the crazy theology that there's people in eternity right now praying on our behalf. In fact, these, read the prayer carefully. They're asking God, when are you going to avenge our blood, these deceased saints who are now in glory? Understand this, that this kind of prayer is like what David prayed in Psalm 7. In Psalm 7, David is being hunted by Saul's men. He is, they are trying to come and attack him and kill him. For some reason, Saul saw David as a threat to his kingdom, and he wanted him dead. And so David finds him place multiple times. In fact, he is praying in Psalm 7, asking God to avenge these oppressors and enemies. And we see here that is the kind of prayer, the imprecatory prayers of like the psalmist is what's being prayed here in Revelation 6.10. But now look at verse 11. Believers are persecuted for believing in and sharing the word of God. Believers are promised their prayers will be answered by God. But check out verse 11 in this verse. I believe believers are promised to be rewarded for faithfully serving God. Believers are promised to be rewarded for faithfully serving God. 
Notice in verse 11, the Bible says white robes were given unto every one of them. That is these saints who were martyred and died for their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful today that one day we'll be clothed with righteous robes. I'm not talking about those green robes that we wore in the Christmas program or those light blue robes we wore in the Christmas program. I'm talking about Jesus' robes of righteousness. And listen, if you're clothed with anything else when you stand before his presence, you will be declared guilty and not innocent. And today, my friends, we'll be rewarded with great robes of righteousness just like these saints. But then the Bible goes on to say, here's where it gets a little interesting. It says, they heard a voice that said to them, for them to rest a little while or a little season until their fellow servants or their comrades in the faith in the Lord's army or their fellow co-laborers in the gospel. It says, and their brethren, that they should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So here's the thought. Some of these tribulational saints were specifically chosen by God to experience martyrdom. In the ancient church, they said, if martyrdom knocks on your door, don't run from it. But don't go knocking on martyrdom's door. So if it comes, allow it to happen, but don't try to bring it upon yourself. And so there's going to be people that God sovereignly, providentially chooses in the tribulational period to die the death of martyrdom. It's in his plan. It's in his sovereign providential plan. God chose them to do this. And I'm thankful that they will receive a reward. So what does this mean for you and me? This means for you and me that no matter what happens in our life, we need to understand this, that we need to be busy in the Lord's work because we will be rewarded for our faithfulness and we will have more rewards to lay back at the feet of Jesus Christ. My friends, believers are called to live faithful lives even unto death because a judgment day is coming when God's wrath will be poured out upon this world. Every believer is promised to suffer for, from the world's persecution. I'll tell you, though, I'd rather have this world's persecution than God's righteous indignation. And we see in the first seal that we're looking at today, seal number five, we see that these martyrs are persecuted for their faith. That's what's going on. And then they cry to God for a vengeance. But then in verses 12 through 17, we see God's righteous indignation being poured out. And here's a thought I want to give to you. We, we talked, first of all, about believers because that's the focus of seal number five. But seal number six is not focused on believers. It's focused on unbelievers. So here's the second thought today. Every unbeliever is promised to suffer from God's indignation. Every unbeliever is promised to suffer from God's indignation. Sobering words from the mouth of God. Seal one through five has been broken. And now John's lenses, his eyeglasses are now zooming in and focusing on seal number six. And he watches as the Lamb of God breaks this seal. And we see absolute utter chaos like this world has never seen unleashed on this planet. Earthquakes Sh shaking this world. The sun turning to darkness. The moon becoming like red blood. Then stars from heaven falling into the earth and hitting the earth. Then we see 
heaven is being rolled up like a scroll. Then mountains are flattened and islands are removed. This is the cosmic devastation that awaits this world. God's day of judgment is coming. So it's time to get right with him while there is still time. But here's a thought I want to share from you from verses 12, 13, and 14. Unbelievers will witness the cosmic devastation of God's judgment. Unbelievers will witness the cosmic devastation of God's judgment. Take your Bibles and let's go back to Matthew 24 today. Back one last time to Matthew 24. We've seen all these different things transpire. We've seen these false prophets arise. We've seen these people come and killing these believers in the tribulational period, these tribulational saints. And then we see that, that, that the Bible speaks about how Sin is going to abound greatly, and the love of many is going to wax cold. And the Bible says that many, many will be around, and, and only those who endure to the end will be saved and delivered. And then the Bible says in verse 14, we'll talk about this more, but the Bible says that the gospel is going to be preached about the kingdom to all the world for a witness. And we see, I believe, that is referring to the angelic being that's going to travel all over the globe, heralding forth the message of the gospel of the kingdom, that judgment day is coming, and Christ will return and establish his kingdom. But then verse 15. Verse 15 is where I want to focus now, right now. As we think about God's indignation. The Bible says, When you, therefore, shall see the abomination of desolation. Remember, this is the Antichrist that Daniel spoke of. And we see Jesus quotes Daniel. Jesus affirms the authenticity and reliability and credibility of the prophet Daniel. And we see, and by the way, scholars used to really heckle and scoff the book of Daniel. Until you get into some of those passages about the Seleucids, about like Antiochus Epiphanes of the Greek Empire, how those dates and those predictions were so precise, scholars now, in fact, scholars who are, or don't believe the Bible, have, no, have since just backed away from Daniel's prophecy because of the accuracy. And so we see Jesus affirmed it all along, so we can trust Jesus in his word. But anyways, he's speaking about this uh, Antichrist who's going to march in, declare himself to be God halfway in, and then, then all the world is going to witness the utter falsehood of somebody trying to be like Jesus. He says, when you see him standing in the holy place in the temple of Jerusalem, then people are going to flee to the mountains. He says, then let them which is on the housetop, not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. We see, it says, verse 20, But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. We see that the unbelievers are going to witness this cosmic devastation of God's judgment. I find it interesting that there's so many parallels with the people of Egypt and Pharaoh and the people of the tribulational period. So far from seals one through five, the world has not even acknowledged that God is the one thundering down these seals. But in seal number six, they see, in fact, this word, this word for earthquake, some commentators have, have thought that, that this means that this earthquake is not just shaking this world, but it shakes the entire universe of God's creation. God is going to shake this world one day in such a way that the earthquakes 
the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the islands, everything is going to be affected by this shaking. The prophet Joel referred to this time. Jesus referred to this time. In fact, Peter, when he was preaching in the book of Acts, talks about it in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost. And we see here that Joel's prophecy is finally going to ultimately be fulfilled right here in the book of Revelation. And the unbelievers will watch it all happen, just like Pharaoh and the Egyptians watched all the plagues come down from God. And, and we know that, at least we believe that the church, it best represents all of the scripture, that the church won't be here. But what about the believers that are in the tribulational period? I believe that just as God shielded the believers in Egypt over his plagues, God will shield the believers in the tribulational period from his wrath when they get saved during that time. But we see that, that the Egypt, they didn't, they didn't. They did not bow to the lordship of God as a result of those plagues. And we see here this world. Talk about ultimate reprobation. Talk about the reprobate mind. Seeing the sun darken. Seeing the moon turn red, seeing the earthquake flatten mountains and remove islands and seeing these asteroids come in and these meteorites come in perhaps. And we see all this and they refuse to bow down to God and his authority. I find it so interesting that here, as we think about doomsday, I think about Scientific American, I think about National Geographic, I think about Time Magazine, I think about all these secular magazines who are trying to predict doomsday. They're trying to save the planet from the cosmic destruction of, an, of a comet coming in and just plowing the earth or the, a meteorite shower just plowing the earth or asteroids coming and plowing the earth. But let me just share something with you. God's in control of all these things. And if a comet ever is going to hit this earth or if asteroids or meteor, uh, meteor or any of these things from outer space are going to collide with this earth, it'll happen in God's time calendar. Okay, and there's nothing you can do to save it or to, 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 to stop it from happening. God will bring this to pass. As I think about these unbelievers... You know, I, I didn't share this in the early service, but you get a little extra. Years ago, I decided I wanted to grow an avocado tree <laughs> because I wanted guacamole for breakfast. I wanted guacamole for lunch, and man, I wanted guacamole for dinner. That stuff is good. So I went in to Kroger, and I bought myself an organic avocado. And I took that organic avocado, I went online and found exactly what I needed to do. I needed a jar, I needed to fill it up halfway with water, and I needed to take the seed and put um, toothpicks, three toothpicks in it, and, and just hang it there so that half the water could be covering the seed. And they said, what would happen is the seed is going to pop open, and then you'll see a sprout. And so there I'm watching it day after day, and I see, I see the seed popped open. So I'm doing it right, but I never saw a sprout. So I realized quickly I was never meant to be a farmer. <laughs> I say that to say this. That we have courses in evangelism and in apologetics. And we, we try to understand all these passages about God's word so we can come and we can share God's word with people who don't believe God's word. But let me share with you, 
Just like I had a missing ingredient with the avocado seed, the missing ingredient when somebody doesn't come to faith in Christ is the Holy Spirit. And so unless God's Spirit intervenes, there's not enough, not enough facts, there's not enough apologetics, there's not enough verses that you can share with them until they're going to bow their knee and confess. And we see here, ultimately, these believers in the tribulational period, is this is the ultimate period of reprobation of man, where the reprobate of the world society is going to see all these things take place, and they're going to still refuse to bow down to God. And their response is they're going to run to the mountains that Jesus said in Matthew 24. So unbelievers will witness the cosmic devastation of God's judgment, but unbelievers will run and pray to the mountains to escape God's judgment. I'm reminded in Romans chapter one where we speak about the reprobate mind. And there the Bible says that these people are gonna start worshiping and serving creation rather than the creator. And, and newsflash, God made this world to be fully used so that one day it could be fully burned up and so he can make a new one. I'm all about saving the turtles. I'm all about doing those things. But listen, your hairspray is not gonna make this world come to an end. <laughs> Praise God for that. But notice here, verse 15, the Bible says the kings of the earth. It says the great men. It says the rich men. It says the chief captains. It says the mighty men. It says every bondman, every free man. In other words, all of humanity who's alive, there's no partiality. Doesn't matter how rich or poor or how powerful or how not powerful you are. You're gonna watch it all happen and they're all gonna run to the caves, to the dens, to the rocks and the mountains. And in verse 16, we see the greatest prayer meeting ever happening in the world. It's a large prayer meeting. The whole world's going to be praying just to the wrong God. Because I actually, I was meditating here. Throughout all history, man has prayed to all sorts of crazy gods. And they're going to continue praying to all sorts of crazy gods for help when they realize the wrath of the Lamb is the one thundering down this judgment. It says, fall on us. And hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. My friends, the only God that can answer your prayer is Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? I mean, just imagine what we just read. Yeah, I know we've seen the sun darken before. I know we've seen the moon look like red blood. I know we've seen comets and, and all. We've seen earthquakes. We've seen all these things. But it won't be like this. I mean, it won't be like this. I mean, imagine seeing the 10 plagues in Egypt come down, the frogs and the lice and all these things, and still refusing to let God's people go. And so we see in like manner, these tribulation states are going to watch it all transpire. And on the other side of the seal and judgments, they're going to see the Son of God described as a lamb. And they're still going to refuse to bow to him. This should move us to go share the good news of Jesus Christ to as many people as we can so that they can escape this judgment. Listen, you can't hide from God's judgment. And that's what we see in verse 17. It says, for the great day of his wrath has come. The prophet spoke about this. Jesus spoke about this. The New Testament authors spoke about this. Judgment day is coming. Unbelievers will never be able to withstand or hide from God's judgment. Right here, 
they won't be able to find a big enough cave. They won't be able to find a big enough mountain. They won't be able to find a big enough rock to be able to hide from God. I find it interesting. We see full circle now in the book of Revelation. The first two created beings of mankind. In Genesis chapter 3, partook of the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because they were told that they could become like God. And then we see that as a result of that, they sinned against God. And their eyes were opened. And they took the plants and, and made garments so that they could be clothed. And then the Bible says they hid from the presence of God. And throughout generation and generation and generation and generation and generation of mankind, man has always tried to hide from the presence of God because we love our sin so much. But here's the point. If you, as one preacher said, if you uncover your sin before God, he will cover it. But if you cover up your sin before God, he will uncover it. And I believe throughout all history, God has just, his patience and long-suffering is just going to come to an end. He's going to become exhausted of watching his creation refuse to call him Lord and refuse to acknowledge he is the creator and refuse to worship him. And as a result, he's going to thunder down his judgment upon this creation. You know, we used to play a game, hide and go seek. You ever played that game as a child? You ever played sardines? It's kind of like the reverse. Everybody hides in one place and the, the seeker has to find it. No matter which one you're playing, the seeker has to go to a place and close their eyes and count to a certain number. And then you, you know what they say? You remember what they say? They say, ready or not, here I come. You know what I believe is going on in Revelation chapter 6? I believe Jesus is saying, ready or not, here I'm coming. So where is God's love in the midst of this chapter? It's a great question. Where is God's love in the middle of his wrath? God's love is seen here because he wrote the future for us in a book. Where is God's love? God's love is present in the fact that he told us about the future day of judgment. And so we can get right with him before the judgment day comes. You know, we, we just heard a testimony of the Gideon ministry and how right now on this side of the tribulational period that people are finding and discovering God's word in the craziest of places and God is showing up and saving their soul. You know, I'm just crazy enough to believe that out of the billions and billions and billions of copies of God's word that have been distributed all throughout history, one day when the church age, when the church is gone and the tribulational period is set and these, these judgments and seals and bowls and trumpets are being blown and sent to this world, I believe God is just gonna sovereignly allow his people in that time to just... Find God's word and be gloriously transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. My friends, there's the love of God, that God would come and die on the cross. God would come and rise again. God would extend his salvation to anybody who calls him Lord. And God would give us a copy of his word so that we could know judgment day is coming. My friends, the wrath of the lamb is at hand. Believers are called to live faithful lives even unto death. 
Because a judgment day is coming. When God's wrath will be poured out upon this world. Every unbeliever is promised to suffer from God's indignation. And every believer is promised to suffer from the world's persecution. Let us give God the glory because he is the one worthy to open up the seals. And he has given us his word so that we can know what's going to transpire. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.